Welcome, wombat folk and trolls, sorcerers and orcs, to Rated RPG, the fantasy role-playing podcast where we toss dice and have fun adventures with our friends. This is the Valley of Green Gold, Episode 3. Hey, hey, it's Jason, Game Master for the Valley of Green Gold. In our first two episodes, we met Aaron's character, Wendell the Wombat. If you'd like to get a look at Wendell the Wombat, go to our website, ratedrpgpodcast.com. In our blog, we posted some fantastic drawings of Wendell, courtesy of our amazing friend and Emery's fiancé, Kat. Thank you, Kat. We'll get back to Wendell in Episode 9... But right now, let's meet our next player and his character. Hey, Dion, how you doing, man? Man, I am doing great. I'm so damn excited for this season, brother. So to get to know your character, Dion, we should know where he comes from. For centuries, the DePayne family name has been synonymous with military excellence. DePayne children are raised to be soldiers by soldier parents who were raised by their soldier parents. The, the DePayne family name is on dozens of plaques and statues throughout the kingdom. Your ancestors' bravery and ingenuity has shaped how to defend towns from monster attacks, how to save lives in the event of natural disasters. There's even a course taught in military academies called the DePayne Combat System, Anything is a Weapon. So by the time of your birth, there's kind of an expectation for who you are going to become. You know how they say stand on the shoulders of giants and stand on the shoulders of demons, essentially. <laughs> well, they are your family, and, and they do love you. When you're born, your parents name you. What is your birth-given name? My name is the pain. See, my thing is, like, I was going to do, like, the third or something, but I wouldn't be the fucking third because there's been a whole history of them. That's why the pause was there. My name is the pain. All right. The pain. While your parents were military folks from a very young age, they were very loving, even when you tested the boundaries of their parenting, like shortly after you turned two years old. There you are, two years old, you're in your room, you're playing on the floor. What are you playing with? I've just always been into taking my, like, you know, like little uh, doll figures and just putting on shows with them. So I'm just playing with these two woodcrafted toys, you know what I mean? And putting them in positions where one's jumping on top of the other, you know, slamming them to the ground and seeing who's going to be the strongest. Uh, basically running my own kind of mini show. Yeah, so maybe your parents being military people, they probably gave you a lot of toy soldiers. So maybe that's what you're using for this. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, uh, you know, there's like, uh, there's wizards that keep in the background. I'm making them throw uh, magic missiles everywhere. <laughs> but my favorite guy I always use would be like a barbarian character because I take out the little tiny wooden axe and then just use the action figure arms to just slam and break people everywhere. <laughs> so speaking of uh, your parents, by the way, I was going to ask you, what are your parents' names? What's your mom's name? It is uh, Anita. Yes. And what is your dad's name? It's going to be Zachary. So Anita and Zachary are downstairs and your bedroom is upstairs. It's a small house, so it's like your bedroom and maybe their bedroom are the only two rooms of the upstairs. And you look out your window one day, you're two years old, and you see a cat <laughs> climbing a tree that is next to your house. What do you do? I want to see if I can get to the cat, honestly. Okay. Your, your window is open. I'm going to climb out my window, and I'm going to go try to grab that cat. I've always loved animals, and nothing's cooler than an agile creature to me, so I want to see if I can go chase the kitty. All right, so second floor of the house, you're about, I'd say, 12, 15 feet off the ground. Give me an athletics check. 
athletics check. Here it comes. Oh, I got a one. <laughs> Get those natural ones out of the way early, right? Yeah. <laughs> so as you're climbing out the window to get this cat, you slip and you slide down the wooden tiles, uh, roof tiles, and you fall to the ground. <laughs> and you take two points of damage as your little two-year-old body slams into the ground hey. from the second floor of your home. Your parents, who are downstairs, happen to see you fall past their window and thud into the ground outside. And so your mom, Anita, and your dad, Zachary, both come running outside. You are the baby. Uh, they have another son who's 10 years older than you. What's his name? Uh, that's going to be Marcus. He's not even at home anymore. He's uh, already at a military academy because he's 12. So he's already kind of moved out of the house and he's becoming tomorrow's military leader today while you're chasing cats and playing with your uh, army figures. So your mom and dad come running outside and your, your dad, Zachary, is really upset. He thinks you're hurt. He runs over to you. He says, what have you done? What did you do? I'm just laughing my whole baby ass off. <laughs> um, few things in the world are funnier than a good fall. And frankly, I'm not that hurt. Yeah, I'm just cracking up. Well, your mom, Anita, is more scared than anything. And she looks up at the window where you fell out thinking, well, I don't know what he was doing, but he fell out the window. We have to do something about that. So uh, they bring you inside the house, look you over, give you some soup to heal you up, and then your your mom goes upstairs and she nails a couple of planks of wood across the window frame so that that can never happen again. <laughs> they also give you a nickname that kind of describes that incident. <laughs> what is it? Um. So the nickname that they gave me is Bunny. Because I'm always hopping into things. I'm way more agile than I should be. I've kind of learned to like leapfrog the places since my legs don't work too great, but my arms are stronger than they should be. So like they've constantly had to be on alert for me just kind of leaping on the things that I shouldn't be able to reach. So they call me Bunny. Yeah. I love it. I love it. All right, Bunny, you're three years old. You've been falling downstairs and not out windows anymore now that it's been fixed, but you've been doing this for a while. And your mother and father, their hair is turning gray. Your parents are in their 40s. They had your brother a little bit late, and then you came along a little bit later than that. And so uh, they're approaching the age where, as uh, soldiers, things start to slow down a little bit for them. They're, they're training other soldiers. They're not actively soldiering anymore. And your father says to you, Bunny, you're going to be a great soldier someday, maybe even a military commander, but you got to stop jumping into things and bouncing around. You're breaking our house, Bunny. This is the only thing I want to do. That doesn't sound fun. I, I just want to be able to be free. Look, you have older cousins. They're all soldiers. Your brother, he he's a great soldier, and he's not even 15 yet. Marcus? Marcus is you. But I... I'm me. I can't be you. It's, it's not that fun to be you. It looks like I, I take offense to that because I like being me, but I see your point. This is a pretty deep conversation for a th three- or four-year-old to have. And that's what I was saying. Like, this is pretty heavy. <laughs> it's translated. We're translating it because yeah. he's basically saying, stop breaking the house. And you're like, I love it. Yeah. yeah. Like, this is what I do, Bob. <laughs> 
the next few years uh-huh. are tumultuous. You guys move around a fair amount because, you know, military, sometimes you end up in coastal towns for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you end up in a city for a while. What is your favorite environment to be in? I love being in a bustling, busy city because that's where you see entertainers. Like, I, I love, like, when my mom lets me, like, go down with her to, like, do whatever shopping she's got to do or go with dad to do whatever shopping he's got to do. And, you know, when you can see the guys who are, like, acrobats or they're breathing fire, like, that's so much more fun than having to practice my wooden sword that I hate every day. I just, I want to be where the magic happens and the magic is around people. Like, that's what I love. Okay, so when you're seven years old, You settle into a busier city. You settle into Harkhaven, which isn't the biggest city in this kingdom, but it's a close second. Your mom and dad have learned, keep Bunny busy. If Bunny has stuff to do, if we give him some chores to do, he'll do them. He may not get them all done. He may not get any of them done, but as long as he's doing something, he doesn't get into mischief. So your dad has a friend who owns a tavern down the uh, road from your house. And your dad gives you an envelope. It's got some coins in it. He says, go give this to Glenn down at the tavern. You know, you've met Glenn before. Your dad takes you into the tavern sometimes to get a bite to eat. So he says, go give this envelope to Glenn. Okay. I start bouncing uh, down the road. And I really, really know I have to give this envelope to Glenn. Because my dad doesn't send me on many of these for obvious reasons Mm -hmm. and the only way for me to stay focused is to make a game out of it okay so i try to time myself to see how fast i can get there just walking on my hands okay so give me an acrobatics check oh this can't be worse than the first one 14 awesome so you are able to make it about halfway it's only a couple of blocks away and walking on your hands as a seven-year-old you're pretty darn good at it and people kind of take notice a few people out in the yards and somebody even claps for you and says yeah little guy go for it oh that's all i ever really need (laughs) so you get down to the uh, tavern and you got to deliver this envelope to glenn it's about noon on a weekday not a lot going on in the tavern You go inside, and it's a small place, wooden walls, not an elaborate building. It's really just a shack, and there's a bar there in this shack, and there's Glenn, the old barkeeper who runs the joint, and he's behind the bar. And he sees you come in, and he goes, hey, bunny. Glenn! How's your your old man? And then I have to spit it out uh, because I was carrying the envelope in my mouth for a bit. (laughs) I got mail for you, and my dad is good, but... He's scared that I'm going to lose the mail. So here's the mail. All right. He takes the slightly slobbery envelope from you. Oh, thanks. That's your dad wanted to pay me back for uh, a dinner I gave him. And there you go. Hey, if you want to help me out with a job, I I got a job for you. Oh, I'd be so good at it. What is it? There's this kid who keeps coming around and uh, getting into the garbage bins behind my place and I want you to scare him away. Think you can do that for me? Oh, I'd love to scare trash kid. Well, I'll give you a copper piece if you can if you can do that. He usually comes about around about now, you know, just about every day. Okay, okay. I can do this. I'm going to go get ready to scare trash kid. Awesome. 
So you go out in the back, the alley's there. There's two wicker baskets that have uh, food refuse heaped in them. There are some crates, empty, broken crates piled up that have a canvas tarp over them. You could hide behind those. There's brambles and things at the end of the alley. You could hide down there if you wanted to get further away from the trash. If he's going to be directly in the trash, let me hide behind the uh, tarp. So you crawl behind the crates and you kind of prop the tarp up there. Give me a stealth check. Let me get all sneaky deaky. I rolled a 12. All right. So you wait there for a few minutes. And then, as if on schedule, you see a kid round the corner of the alley. And he looks around like he's looking if somebody's looking for him. This kid is much smaller than you. He's slender and he's slight. He's probably about your age, but his face is a bit gaunt, bony features, a shaggy mop, a dirty brown hair on top of his head. He's, he's probably a pretty pale, white-skinned boy, but it's tough to tell because he's covered in dirt and soot. And yeah, he looks like a street kid just out there trying to find something to eat. And he starts walking down the alley and he makes his way over to the baskets. He doesn't see you. And uh, he has his back to you, and he's kind of digging around in the garbage. What do you do? Can I do a stealth check to see if I can sneak up on him while he's not paying attention? Sure, go for it. Ooh, let's get scared. Don't whiff. 17. All right. With a 17, you are able to sneak up right behind him. He's found a bit of cheese in there. It's got some mold on it, so he's scraping it off with his fingernails and eating it. What do you do? I get right up to his hand. I say, get away from the fucking trash, you jerk! (laughs) He jumps about a foot in the air, and when he comes down, he takes off like a jackrabbit. You've never seen anyone run so fast. And he gets down to the end of the alley, and, you know, he does that thing like you see in cartoons where they kind of skid sideways, hopping on one foot, like they're going to turn. Yeah. And then he stops. He looks back at you. He locks eyes with you. He kind of squints his eyes and sneers at you. And then he takes off running. I'm, I got to chase after him. How dare he? Let's see if you can catch this kid. He is pretty fast. Going to give you a, uh, an athletics check. Oh, boy. And I'm sure he is hoofing it. Here we go. I rolled an 18. What does that do? He got a natural 20. So oh, well, damn. Never mind. <laughs> you chase him for quite a while, though, because you got an 18. He got a natural 20. You keep pace with him pretty good. You are almost just as fast as he is, but he seems to know where he's going more than you do. So he jumps to get over a fence. He jumps up on a log, and as he jumps over the fence, he kicks the log with his foot so it falls over. You have to take an extra second to set the log up. He ends up losing you. Mm. But not before he leads you six blocks deeper into the city of Harkhaven than you've ever been before. And this part of town had a fire about a year ago. And there are a couple of buildings that weren't demolished, but nobody's living in them because they were damaged. You're pretty sure that he ran into a two-story shack type building. Maybe it used to be an inn or a hotel. Do you go in? Honestly? Yeah. Hell yeah. You go into this building, it's pretty dark in there, and being human, you don't have dark vision, so it's tough to see. A lot of shadows. uh, This kid could be hiding in here somewhere. Give me a perception check. 16. You do see some movement deeper in the building behind a door. The door is slightly open, and you see a shadow move behind it. I inch towards the shadow. You get closer to the door. You don't see anyone moving. You don't hear the floor creak or anything. Do you open the door? Yeah. 
You swing the door open, and standing in front of you is a kid who looks a lot like the other kid, except about a foot taller and 50 pounds heavier. He's in a fighting stance. Any motions for you to take the first shot? Sleeping on my skill set, you son of a biscuit. Can I look around? Do I see any, like, things I can pick up potentially? In this room, there is a large plank bed that's got some sacks of leaves on it. That must be where they sleep. There is a broken wooden chair, a broken wooden table that's been propped up by a log that they've jammed under the thing. And there is a clay pot that you guess they've been using as a bathroom? That would make sense. You know, you you gotta go somewhere. Here's what I wanna do. Since he said I could take the first hit, I'm honorable, guy. dang it. I'm actually just gonna walk straight into the face with my right hand, give him one good one right across the jaw. So on your character sheet, there is something called slap. We're gonna use that one. Yeah. Here we go, big slap! Holy cow! <laughs> a 24. Yeah, I walloped him! Man, you did, yeah, and it really wobbles him, but it doesn't knock him out. And he returns the favor. Okay. He quickly catches his balance from your slap and slaps you across the face for two points of damage. We eat that for breakfast. About half of what you gave him. He's gonna stand toe to toe with you. You gonna give him some more? I I was born for this, but this time, I'm not just gonna slap him. I grab him by both shoulders and I headbutt the hell out of him. Hit him with a 20. Wow, yeah, so you jump up and lunge forward because this kid's like a foot taller than you and you slam your forehead right between his eyes. You didn't knock him unconscious, but he has fallen to the ground and he does not look like he wants to get up and fight you anymore. Hell yeah. And that's when you see in the corner of the room the younger kid that you chased here cowering in the shadows. He is frightened because he's seen what you have done to the bigger kid. He runs over and he says, Ripper, Ripper, are you okay? And he falls to his knees and kind of hugs the big kid, trying to get him to stand up. But you rung his bell pretty good. He's not moving very quick. And you notice the smaller kid has a very angry look on his face. And he says, I wasn't doing anything. My brother wasn't doing anything wrong. I was just taking some trash. Nobody was going to eat that anyway. You get out of our house. I swear, I swear, if I ever see you again, I'm going to get my revenge. I laugh and say, (laughs) you can't get revenge on me with a body that frail. Hit the gym, pal. But then I, I realize I start to feel bad because like I'm not like evil. I'm just more mischievous, and this this all kind of escalated faster than I planned. Yeah. And honestly, I'm starting to feel bad. Say what I will about my parents. I'm definitely from a upper middle class environment, right? And these guys are dirt poor. So if it is possible, can I run and get that bronze coin from Glenn and then bring it back and just like put it on the doorstep because I'm sure he won't want to see me? Because I do, and I do feel bad that they're in this situation. But also, I got to whoop a little ass, so I'm riding that high. <laughs> Both things can be true. I love it. <laughs> Bunny, you go back to the tavern. And as you're walking back to the tavern to collect your, your bounty, this copper coin. Well, you said bronze coin, so maybe he's going to give you one of each. You might get lucky. You go back to the tavern, and as you're walking back to the tavern, you basically have that same uh, dialogue in your own head. <laughs> and you get back to the tavern, and Glenn is like, hey, did you scare the punk away? Oh, listen, I scared him away, and then some. You don't have to worry about those guys anymore, Glenn. I took care of it. Then I give him the biggest thumbs up he's ever seen. He's like, holy cow, what happened to your face? You got a big handprint on there. Uh, don't worry about it. Let's just say 
I might become the strongest man alive. And then I do a little like flex and trip over myself. <laughs> he laughs. He's like, all right, well, you're, you're a good kid, bunny. And uh, hey, I'll give you an extra something. I got uh, I got this copper coin I was, I was going to give you. And I got a bronze coin. Now, this isn't really currency. It's more of like a good luck token. Because, <laughs> you know, it served me well. Sometimes I flip the coin when I need to make a decision. I'll give it to you. Tell your dad I said hi. Have a good day. Thanks, Glenn. And then I take the bronze and copper coin, and then I'm gonna just creep out, and I'm gonna knock on the abandoned door of the place I met them, and then I'm just gonna put the coin right inside the door and leave. All right. And head back home to tell pops that I I, I did it. I I'm late. I'm very late from what he expected. I know that, but my parents also know if you send me to do something, you add an hour. They know their son. So you get home. And, uh, yeah, your parents both know, like, this is just how Bunny is. Like, we're glad you're home, finally. Do you tell them about what happened? This is kind of, like, screwed up that these, like, two kids have to, like, you know, they're in such a bad position. And I you know, I, I start to feel bad. So uh, I ask uh, my mom and dad, we protect our country from threats outside but how come we don't protect the people inside of it? And then I kind of break up. I saw this like kid who was like not doing well. And I do say that I gave them a copper coin that Glenn had gave me just in case Glenn tells them and then they ask what happened to it. And I just want to know how come we don't do more? Your mom and dad, they are military people through and through, but they're loving people and they're empathetic people. And yeah, they agree with you. Like, in a perfect world, you know, the kingdom would be more helpful for all the people in it instead of just the people at the top. But we don't live in that world. We live in this world where, you know, sometimes sometimes people ha have, have bad situations. That probably doesn't set real well with you. Yeah, it feels like a cop-out, but I understand it's my parents. It's probably about as uh, deeply emotional as they get. Yeah, your dad asks you, do you know these kids? Mm, no, uh, I just I just saw them, and I saw them having to like eat trash, oh. and I I could help, so I did. Okay, I think that's a big part of like my uh, essence is if I can do something, I will do something. Your dad smiles at you and says, "Bunny, I'm proud of you. You made the right choice. You helped someone who needed help, and you gave when someone had less than you did. That's really important to your mother and I. And by telling us about these kids, maybe we can help. There are people that we work with who have helped out kids who have nothing on the street, and they're able to help them get homes where they're loved and they can thrive. So you tell your parents where you found these kids, yeah. and your dad says, well, I'll let the folks at work know, and Maybe they can stop by and help find these kids a home. Oh, that would be amazing. It's like, you know, didn't your dad's your hero again? Because it's like, wow, look at all his connection, the things he can do. Maybe this is what being a military guy is about. That, that really sets a great tone uh, for your relationship with your dad and your mom. Uh, your, your mom is probably a little bit more hard-boiled than your, your dad. She's like an expert archer yeah. uh, who has won many awards, whereas your dad is, is more into infantry training. So she doesn't open up quite as much as your dad does with you. But the interesting thing is that over the next week or two, you sense that your dad is definitely more gracious toward you. And after a couple of weeks, he sits you down and he says, look, Bunny, uh, I have an idea. You said that you don't want to be in the military. 
And as much as it pains me and your mother to hear you say that, I mean, Marcus is doing so well. You know, he's already off on deployments and um, winning battles, but that's not who you are. Your mother and I have decided to send you to a special school called the Whistling Wrestling Monastery, the WWM. Oh, my God. It's, it's way up north. We won't be able to see you. We won't be able to come and visit. But some kids do really well there. It's really expensive, but they will agree to take you on. And then your mother and I will, will work off the debt over like the next 10 years or so. And then when you're, you know, finally old enough to leave Whistling Wrestling Monastery and go out on your own, you know, maybe you'll decide to go into the military or maybe you'll decide to do something else. But we can't force you into a life of soldiering if that's not what you want to do. I take a pause because it's it was a lot of information. My initial thought would be like, do my parents want to get rid of me? But then as the explanation goes on, it's like, this isn't a, we don't want to try with this kid. This is a, this is the best thing we can do for this kid moment. And as it starts to roll over me, I go from like, maybe almost being like a little like sad into like excited that I'm about to go on this like whole new adventure. And it'll be something that is for me. Cause I have been dreading having to like start military training soon. And I'm never going to be my brother. I'm never going to be my father. Hell, my mom, I don't have any kind of accuracy with a bow. This feels like I'm getting my shot to actually follow my own heart. Your dad uh, tells you that you'll be leaving for Whistling Wrestling Monastery tomorrow. Oh, holy. So he has some things already packed up and uh, you guys load up. You have a small wagon, a couple of horses. You put them on the front of the cart and... The next morning, bright and early, you give your mother a kiss and a hug goodbye, and you and your father start on the journey, a two-week journey riding north to get you to where you are going to spend maybe the next decade. I'm not even going to lie. A part of me is a little nervous. I've never really spent this much time alone with my dad, and this is going to be like our last time together, so I almost want to... Pick his brain, but also not, you know, get chastised for asking too many questions. So as we're riding along, the first thing I ask him is, did grandfather ever disapprove of his life choices? Oh, yeah. He was disappointed I didn't follow in his footsteps. See, he was an infantry guy. He was the kind of guy who wanted to get down in the trenches and draw some blood. But that's not who I am. I don't have beef with this other soldier. I don't know this other soldier. He's never done anything to me. Yeah. So I got into combat tactics and training infantry so that they could become more efficient at capturing territory and objectives without spilling blood. See, that's something your grandfather never really understood. Are you disappointed I'm not a soldier? A little bit, but you know what? You're going to be whoever you're going to be, and... After what you told me with that kid, you have a good heart, and good things are going to come out of that. And it's going to be 10 years I'm not going to see you guys at all? Well, maybe. I mean, there are several of these uh, monasteries, academies, whatever you want to call them, uh, throughout the kingdom where young people who maybe don't quite fit in at home or are in trouble or just want that experience, they can go there and they can live and train with experts in what's known as 
professional wrestling. These are people who put on shows fighting each other. Nobody generally gets hurt real bad, uh, but they certainly look like it. When you're a kid and you go into one of these academies, you still go out and put on shows. But they're like small little country fair shows or regional things where you might you might go on before the grown-ups do. And you just do a little bit. It's more acrobatics than it is like fighting each other or wrestling. But, uh, you know, maybe you'll get back down to Harkhaven. Maybe, you know, at some point. And, you know, your mother and I, we might make it up, take a little vacation and come up north to see you. I like that. I'll get a chance to become myself. So as far as wrestling goes, will this allow me to become a hero? A hero is just somebody who does something heroic. I mean, you've already kind of done something heroic by letting us know about those kids. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I am a hero. And then I try to stand up on the wagon, almost fall out. (laughs) Dexterity saving throw. Dexterity saving throw. 15. Yeah, you're good. You were able to... Keep your footing. Did not fall out of the wagon. Ah, ha-ha, see? Nothing can stop me. So over the next two weeks as you're on your journey, your dad fills you in on some of the cool family secrets. Now remember, there was a book that was written, a training manual that was written by your great-great-great-grandfather. It's called The Depain Combat System, Anything is a Weapon. And that means that, yeah, you can use a chair as a weapon. You can use a table as a weapon. Anything that you can grab and put in your hands, you can use it as a weapon. You can throw things. You have the DePain family blood, so maybe you're going to be really skilled at this kind of thing. You know, when I've asked Glenn about you guys in your younger days, he says nobody was better in the middle of a, of a fracas is the word to use. I'm not sure what it is. A bar fracas than you? He said you were a maestro with a beer bottle? <laughs> and, I mean, if I could even be half of that, I would be honored to continue the tradition. Your dad laughs. <laughs> Says, there was one bar fight that uh, Glenn and I got into. I used two chickens as weapons. I, I just stare up at him and wonder, two chickens? Yeah, I, I won the fight. You are so cool. Yeah, I know. Oh, man. After we won the fight, we ate the chickens for dinner. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dinner and a show. Oh, my God. And is that how you met Mom? Oh, uh, yeah. That's a story for another time, I Bunny. Just, wow. That's a story for another time. <laughs> so after the uh, two-week journey comes to a conclusion, uh, you roll up. And there is a little mountain range. These aren't great huge mountains, but they are mountains. And into the side of the mountain, down at the base, is built a monastery. And there's a big rock wall around it and gate. And your dad rolls up and gets off the wagon. He goes over and talks to the person that's manning the gate. And he pulls out a piece of parchment that apparently allows you passage. The gatekeeper reads it and nods at your father. And you guys roll on in. You unload the wagon, and you walk up to the front doors of the monastery, and there is a very small woman standing there. And uh, she is literally a small woman. She is a gnome, and uh, she goes by the nickname Mother Hen. (laughs) When your dad walks up to her, he goes, "Uh, I'm here with my son, Bunny. My my name's Zachary DePayne. And Mother Hen says, oh, yes, Bunny. We'll take good care of him. She's kind of humorless, doesn't smile, nods. I, I extend my hand, say, nice nice to meet you. Uh, uh, 
Hi, I'm Bunny, and yeah. She gives you a look like she's seen a hundred of you before, and she's not going to touch your filthy hand. <laughs> I just sheepishly put it back down and uh, ready to go inside, I guess. <laughs> you notice that she's leaning on a, uh, like a walking stick. Yeah. A cane, but it's more of a walking stick. It's very small. So it looks like something Yoda would have. Okay. She says to your father, you may leave the bag on the ground. Someone will get it. Bunny, come with me. Yes, ma'am. Your dad says, well, I guess that's it. Goodbye. Uh, I run up, I hug my dad and say, next time you see me, I'll be the greatest wrestler ever, whatever that is. He smiles and he says, yeah, you will be. And he gives you a kiss on top of the head. And then uh, you see a tear coming out of his eye and he straightens his body up and stifles that and then uh, drops your satchel of stuff and uh, heads back to his wagon. And that is the last time you'll see your dad for a little bit. Now it's real? You know what I mean? Like, it's one thing, like, the, the travel and the know I'm going to be someplace. Um, all I've ever really wanted was a chance to be free and be myself. And as kind of scared as I am, I am freaking juice to the gills on the inside. Like, oh, man, I don't care what it takes. I am going to nail this. I'm not even sure how to nail it yet, but I'm going to nail it. Mother Hen doesn't pay any mind to this emotional goodbye. She's seen a million of these before. She turns and walks into the monastery. Do you pick up and bring your bag in, or do you leave it there? Uh, somebody was coming to pick it up? I'm going to listen to Mother Hen. You follow Mother Hen, and she doesn't say anything. She just walks you down this corridor. The corridor is sparkling clean. The floors are marble, and they shine like you've never seen floors shine this sparkly. Certainly not in your house or any house of anybody you've ever... Like, castles have floors that are dirtier than this. It's amazing. Oh, wow. You see people, young people, your age and a little bit older, going around cleaning, wiping off countertops, wiping off small tables. There are a few chairs in this main corridor. And then you come to several red doors. Mother Hen stops and she turns around and she says, where is your bag? You you said that somebody was going to go get my my bag. So I, I left my bag, right? I did say someone was going to get your bag. You didn't ask me who was going to get your bag or where they were going to take it. Uh, I... You didn't ask me any questions. So, should I... I'm going to go get my bag, if that is okay. She nods her head, tilts her head to the side and nods knowingly. Then I just take off running as fast as I can, uh, grab my bag, and then book it right back to her immediately. (sighs) That's your first lesson, Bunny. If I say someone is going to pick up your bag, you should still be aware of where your bag is going and who is going to be in possession of it. You can't trust anyone around here, Bunny. Thank you for the first lesson. And then I, like, awkwardly bow. Are you going to be my my master? Oh, no. I am not a teacher here. I I simply handle the day-to-day, and I talk to the parents when they come to drop off their children. You'll be working with someone else. I'm ready to go to my bunk, unless there's someplace better we should be? Mother Hen notes your apprehension and uncertainty and you sense that she softens her tone just a bit for you. She says, right, let's take you to your bunk then. 
She enters the door farthest on the left. There were three of these red doors, and you enter a very large space with bunk beds stacked three high. There are three rows of these bunk beds, ten deep, so that's 90 kids, potentially, that sleep in just this room. Now, this is like 10 o'clock in the morning, so your stomach is starting to grumble because you and your dad didn't stop for breakfast. All you had was like some jerky and uh, maybe some berries that you picked from alongside the road. Miss Miss Hen? Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when do we have breakfast? We had breakfast at 5 a.m. Uh, if you want lunch, that's going to be served in two hours. 5 a.m. is before the sun comes out? Is that normal? Here? Yes, it is normal here. And you're going to wake up every morning at 5 a.m. You're going to work very hard all day, every day. Okay. And then you're going to do it the next day and the next day. That's how you're going to become an amazing performer, Bunny. I've become a performer by waking up early? That's part of it, yes. It's dedication to a craft, Bunny. Okay. I will dedicate to the craft. Now, she introduces you to the boy who has the top bunk. You are in a row of, you know, got the three bunks stacked up. You're going to be on the bottom bunk because you're the youngest in the stack. And the boy who's on the top of the bunk bed stack, he is an elven boy. And he is currently folding his clothes and putting them in a small crate at the base of his bed. I walk up to him and I say, hey, my name is... What, what, what's your name, man? Hey, uh, they call me, uh, they call me Jackknife. Wait, they call you Jackknife? Yeah, because I cut people, you know? Ooh, that is so cool. One time, I, I, I headbutted a kid who was really big, and he, he passed out. Oh, yeah, I guess that's pretty cool. Hey, uh, you want me to show you around the place? Um, yes, uh, let me, where do I put my bag? Is, is this safe? Yeah, just slide it under the bed. It'll be fine. Okay. None of these other kids are going to mess with anything. I got you. Uh, okay, perfect. And with that, Mother Hen says, all right, I see that you've got yourself established with a friend. I'll be in the front office. You probably won't see me much around here because I don't deal with the children. <laughs> I take care of the business. Yeah. And with that, she turns around and leaves. And for the next year and a half, you and Jackknife, whose real name is Matic, actually get to be really good friends. You guys partner up in all sorts of training exercises and activities as you learn the skills needed to become professional entertainers, professional wrestlers. Yeah. About once a week, you guys get to go out and put on a show for townspeople in the small towns within two or three hours of the monastery. There's five or six really small towns, and they really look forward to these uh, weekend shows where you guys, you know, do flips and do acrobatic stuff. Sometimes you put on a wrestling match. You get taught how to take a bump. You know, you get taught how to bounce off the ring rope. And you've taught Matic how to use anything as a weapon. You guys have learned together how to hit somebody with a chair and not kill them which is really important in your line of work. Yeah, it, it's got to be one of the most important things, right? Uh, not committing murder by accident. Yeah, totally. Because that would that would really bring the audience down. Yeah, yeah. But like, you're settling it too well, pal. Get up. So, five long years later, you've been at the Whistling Wrestling Monastery learning the trade mm -hmm. of a professional wrestler. And you and Maddox have actually, you guys became a tag team for, for quite a while, the last three years. What's your tag team name? They call us Steely Knives. <laughs> Steely Knives. And, and you guys, are you guys like high flyers or... <laughs> 
sorry, this fucking Steely Dan <laughs> wrestling came into my mind. But, <laughs> um, we are definitely uh like definitely high flyers. Like since he's he's a bit smaller than me, so he's a bit more jumpy. But we are um known for like hopping off the ropes. Let you know, like remember when. I don't know how much wrestling you watch, mm-hmm. but when um, Stone Cold he kind of teamed up with uh, Eddie Guerrero for a bit, and Eddie was like, it was just uh, I'm brawling, and then he's jumping off the rope to kick someone in the chest, that kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So after five years of this going really well for you and your tag team partner in the Steely Knives, they've taught you everything that they can teach you. You're 13 years old. You're practically an adult now, and one day you get a letter. A letter that is delivered to you by Mother Hen. She walks into the uh, bunkhouse, and you honestly haven't even really seen her all that much in the last five years. <laughs> she walks in, she hands you the envelope. It's got a seal on it. It's a black wax seal that just looks like a fist wrapped with a chain. Who's it from? You gotta open it up. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I open up the letter. It says, Bunny DePayne. You are invited to join our amazing team of professional wrestlers here at Captain Bunko's Extreme Fight Club. And we will pay you 500 gold and erase your parents' debt to Whistling Wrestling Academy. But you'll have big shoes to fill. Moose Barnes is our reigning regional champ. He is an undefeatable giant, and he recently retired. So we're looking for new talent, and Mother Hen has told us you are the best they have to offer. So what do you think? First, I look over at Mother Hen, I say, you said I was the best. Thank you so much. I've been trying so hard to just get better. Thank you thank you for seeing me be great. Um, so m- my thing is, uh, is it just me or is it me and Maddie? Because we are a tag team and we're really good. Is this just me? The offer is extended to you and you alone. This is my best friend. Like, he's the first guy that welcomed me to this academy. But I don't want my parents to be in debt for me being able to, like, continue to follow my dream. And most importantly, to be the successor to Moose, the best of all time. Because I'm assuming, like, we talk about the guys who are the guys in the industry, right? And Moose was a legend. Like, he once had a five-on-one match in one. Like, he's the GOAT. And for me to, like, be able to try to fill his shoes on a different coast is scary, but there's too many positives. I have to go. 500 gold, fix my parents' debt, I'm going. What do you say to your friend? I, I, I gotta be honest, Maddox. This is maybe the hardest thing I've ever had to do, and I'm including having to leave my family five, almost six years ago. You're the best friend I ever had. You, you freaking taught me Elvish, man. But you remember, you remember when we were facing... The the Molten twins. Oh yeah, the twin brother and sister. Yeah, Willie and Ginger Molten. Well, well, exactly, dude. And this is probably the reason I think I'll never forget you. You you're on the top rope, and I'm just getting worked over. You know, I, uh, the ref didn't see. Uh, his sister's distracted him. He whacks me with a chair, and as I'm stumbling, it's about to be a three, two, one, and it's over. And you just flew in and perfectly kicked him in the face and slid out the ring before the ref noticed so I could recover. I I just think, you're the, you're the best wrestler I've ever met. Oh, jeez, Bunny. <laughs> you're the best wrestler I ever met. 
You, you remember the match we had against the half ogre? Uh, are you talking about the rumble in the in, in the thorn patch? Yeah, that's the one you smacked him with a chamber pot. Dude, it was our old chamber pot. I said I threw out, but I just hit it. Uh. Oh, jeez, Bunny. We had some good times. Steely knobs forever, brother. Yeah, Steely yeah, freaking knobs. Steely knobs forever. <laughs> <laughs> the next couple of days go by pretty quick because uh, they have arranged for you to have an armed escort with you. It's going to take you almost a month to get out to the West Coast because it's a pretty big continent. But the good news is, over the next few weeks that you're on the road, you don't encounter anything that you guys can't handle together. And you guys are able to circumvent trouble. So as you finally get it, because, you know, you're a performer. It's not like you're an actual barbarian out there smashing heads. Even though you're young, you want to kind of keep your body working right. Because you've seen these older wrestlers. They get messed up sometimes. Yeah, man. Like talking to the older wrestlers that would come out of school, sometimes it's like you have more eyeballs than teeth. And I don't want to be one of those guys, you know? Well, you finally arrive at Captain Bunko's Extreme Fight Club headquarters on the West Coast. And it is not an impressive building. It looks like uh, somebody grabbed some timbers and some stones and kind of threw a building together. But there's a nice sign out front. Captain Bunko's Extreme Fight Club, home of the champion Moose Barnes. Moose Barnes? I'm about to be in the same place as Moose Barnes. The undeniable current goat, because I'm going to be the goat. I'm thinking, oh, this is my head where I should be walking. And man, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to just continue to be the best. And I'm going to make Moose Barnes. One day he's going to shake my hand and say I'm the best of all time. The armed bodyguard who has escorted you for the last month is sitting on his horse with his arms folded. And he says, excuse me, sir. Uh, may I go home now? I'd like to go back and see me family. Nice to meet you. Thanks for keeping me from getting murdered on the road. That was that was pretty clutch of you. Time for me to go. Nice to meet you, though, young man. I wish you the best of luck. So after reading the sign, I'd start walking towards the building. I, I got the letter they sent me in hand just in case there's any questions. And I open the front door or knock. I'm not sure which way to go with that. You go inside and uh, you see there's the ring. You can see that the ropes are all like brown with all of the dried blood over the years they've been using them. And the uh, mat is all splotched with all kinds of different colors. People have dropped a lot of blood in this training ring. And then you see Captain Bunko himself. Captain Bunko is one grizzled looking dwarf. His advanced years seem even more advanced, largely because of the wear and tear he put his body through in the ring. You remember hearing stories about how he was a champion over 100 years ago, and how 70 years ago he lost his right leg due to an accident in the ring, in a match that he still won by pinning the other guy. He's missing his right leg below the knee to this day. And Captain Bunko's bald head is riddled with long scar grooves so wide you could fit the edge of a gold coin in them. He is wearing a black leather vest that has medals pinned to it for some reason. Perhaps that's why he refers to himself as Captain Bunko. And he greets you with a wave. He's missing two of his fingers on his right hand. I, I walk up to him in awe because I've, I've heard stories about the, you know, the OGs, because you got to respect the legends. And I woke up and said, sir, I am Bunny, and I come from the WWM. I just got to say, you're a legend. Did you really invent 
the one-armed clothesline? Because before that, I heard people used to use two and tackle, folks. You were the first one to just clothesline. You're a legend. Uh, Sorry, sir. Captain Bunko looks you up and down and says... Yep, one arm, and then then that was that, and everybody's doing one arm from then on. Yep, you're you're bunny. Yes, sir. I heard Mother Hen said you gotta get this guy in your ring. You gotta make a choice, bunny. Um, what's the choice? I can have you fight a bunch of gnomes. You start beef with the gnomes, you'll be set for months because you fight two, three of them at a time. Or you can fight one of my young guys, the maniac kid. He's very extreme. You go that route, the maniac kid, you're gonna, you're gonna be painting the ring, buddy. You got a problem with bleeding, I gotta know. I've never really had a problem with bleeding, but more importantly, I'm not here to nickel and dime my way to the top. Fighting two gnomes at a time is cool, but it's something I know I can do. Tell the maniac kid getting ready to lose, I tell Bunko. Yep. I'm glad you got a good positive attitude about it because he's going to mess you shit up. (laughs) (laughs) So this is going to be a a hardcore match then. Uh, Anything goes is what it sounds like, sir. Yep, that's right. And it's going to be the main event Friday night. Sir, I just want to be on the card. I'm going to show you what I got. I ask where my room is and then I'm just ready to start working over the Maniac Kid. Room? I ain't got no room. You got to get rent a room. I I got your money, though. I got the 500 gold pieces. You're right, because I'm essentially an adult now, sir. <laughs> uh, I take the money, <laughs> and uh, I ask, where is there a good inn around here? Should I'm just going to go out and I'll find one. Yeah, you can find one. Okay. I got 500 gold, so I'm, I'm kind of... Halfway balling, but not really. Yeah, you're able to find a place that is going to be affordable in the long term. Comfortable, which is important for you, because you're getting really tall. Even for a teenager, you're really tall. Yeah. You put a down payment on a room for a month, and you'll see how that goes. Now, as you lead up to Friday, you're going to come in and do a little bit of training. And Captain Bunko, he's around. He kind of gives you a few pointers here and there. He's like, you're going to want to make sure you don't go out too soon. You got to really stick in there for a while, okay? I got to make it a show. Yes, sir. That's right. That's right. You start seeing double. That's okay. You start seeing quadruple. That's okay. You start seeing the eight. Uh, eight, pe- eight things. I know what that is, but you start seeing eight. Y- you know what, sir? I understand. If I see eight, that's great. Eight is great. You're going to be a champion someday with that attitude. Yeah. You're you're guessing he's taking a lot of chair shots. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just treating him like a Vandy Holderfield at this point. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Random straight up Vander, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, one of the guys that he introduces you to is a gnome wrestler who goes by the name Dr. Chains. Dr. Chains comes in one afternoon, and uh, he looks like Junkyard Dog, but a gnome. He's got a chain around his neck, but he's wearing, like, black leather pants and a black leather vest. I look at Dr. Chains and say, I'd be honored to learn from a great sir. Well, that's a good attitude to have, kid. First thing I'm going to teach you is how to escape from my chains. What? If you and I get into a match, now if you take a no match, you gotta know that we fight dirty. And I got um, Musty Rusty, and I got Fair and Grippers, and Tip Top, and Whizzle Plums on my team too. So uh, sometimes we like to chain you up and put the chain around the post of the ring, right? 
uh, I'm going to teach you how to pick a lock. All right, so you, that you can so that you can turn the tables on us. Awesome. Uh, I'm ready to learn how to turn some tables. Over the course of the next few hours, he teaches you how to use a lock pick set. Now it's going to take you a while and a lot of practice to get good at picking a lock. Yeah. But the groundwork has been laid for you to get good at picking locks, thanks to Doctor Chains, the gnome wrestler. <laughs> couple of days pass. It's getting to be Friday. You've not met the maniac kid yet. You've just been putting in work. The night of the big event comes around. There's a big circus tent that they put up in a vacant lot in the middle of town. And the people start pouring in there in the early afternoon. And they are drinking heavy. Yeah. Uh, there are bleachers and uh, benches set up around the ring. And they get out all of these tarps and things to put down. If there is blood spilled in the ring, that they can just pull the tarp off and then they don't have to clean the actual ring. (laughs) They get all this stuff set up and they start the matches. They start the matches with some gnome wrestlers. So you get to see Musty Rusty and Tip Top Duke it out. It's a great match. These guys flying all over the ring, going like 90 miles an hour. Next up is another match. This is really big dude. I mean, he is, he's a mountain of a man, but he's not very good. He's uh, really slow, and uh, his his name is uh, Jumbotron, and uh, he's fighting against, uh, who, what's the other guy's name? Oh, uh, Jumbotron, he's fighting against um, Big Frida. Big Frida's uh, finishing move is called, uh, what is it? Isn't it called just um, the Saucy Mix? Big Frida's Saucy Mix puts Jumbotron on his back. It knocks him out. They have to, like, bring a medic in to, like, give him some smelling salts. And now... It's time for you to get down to the ring. Oh, man. Whatever is beyond goosebumps, just I feel electric as I start to like walk towards the ring. This is what I came for. I've moved across the country for this moment right here. This is how I stake my name. So right before you start your journey to the ring, Captain Bunko says, Hey, kid, we got to announce you. You go by Bunny? Bunny? Is that your wrestling name, Bunny? No, 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 that, that is a kid name for kids. I am an adult. And then I think of all the stuff that's happened to me over the years. And when I think of like my mom and my dad, their strength is kind of like their stoicness. Like they're cold, like ice cold. I say, and then I'm like, my name is Ice Cold. And then I start to continue thinking, I'm like the baddest person I know. It's like my brother. They call him a slab of beef because he's just like strong, you know, like brick shit house. I'm like, Ice cold, the slab, and then I remember when I got called as a kid because I was such a whirling dervish, knocking stuff over, when Bunny was being like a little monsoon, they used to call me. My mom called me her little monsoon. So then I just, all that comes together, I'm like, my name is Ice Cold, the slab monsoon, and then I kind of flex one of my biceps, like, that's who I am. Yeah, that's a great name. And you see one of his eyes kind of drift off to the left, and <laughs> then he shakes his head. Yay, ice cold, the slab monsoon. That's right. We're going to do it. Okay, you're going to come down to the ring real soon. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready, sir. So what do you wear when you come down to the ring? I am wearing uh, no shirt on. I do have, like, a denim vest. <laughs> Uh, no shirt, denim vest, and then on my feet, my ankles are wrapped um, with the school colors from um, WWM, which were like maroon and gold. So I have that on my legs, and then I am wearing just standard tights, and on the back of the tights, it used to say Depain, but then I like ripped it off and put tape over, so it's uh, IC. 
icy on the cheeks. So as you wait behind the curtain for your name to be announced, it all hits you. Here you are, on the west coast of a continent that you have traversed in full to chase your dream of becoming the world's greatest entertainer of all time. You're making grown-up money, and you're just a kid. You're only like 14 years old. And while it's true you have wrestled in hundreds of shows with Whistling Wrestling Monastery, this is different. This is Captain Bunko's Extreme Fight Club. There's gonna be blood. You're in real danger. But there's no time to think about that. It's time for our main event, The Challenger. Hailing from parts unknown, weighing 200 pounds, Ice Cold The Slab Monsoon. Oh, I start walking towards the ring. I'm sauntering. I'm in my moment, baby. I walk, I don't even get in the ring at first. I walk the whole full four sides of it. Cause I, I need I need to feel the juice. Oh baby, I'm here. Ice cold! I scream into the crowd. Then I slide into the ring. And now, also hailing from parts unknown, weighing in at 180 pounds, the Maniac King! And he comes down. He jumps over the top rope. You see this guy, he's, he's really, he's, he's very muscular, but he's svelte, he's thin, he's super agile. And you can tell he's got all these scars all over his chest. He's got fresh scars on his arms, on his upper arms, on his back, on his legs. He's wearing red gi pants, like a martial artist's pants. Sure, it's cute. And uh, no shirt and he's wearing a red bandana around his head. He's got long brown hair and a mm. thin face, mm. bony features. Yeah. Pale skin white kid. Okay. That's when it hits you. Oh. This is that kid that you scared away from the garbage pot. Oh. <laughs> I, I put my hand over my mouth like, no freaking way. And that is the end of episode three of Rated RPG's oh. The Valley of Green Gold. Oh, are you serious? Bravo, okay. Rated RPG would not be possible without our amazing Patreon supporters and friends like Risky Business, Alex Shermerhorn, and Christian Go. We raise a glass and toast the health of the gorgeous Phoenix Brigade. Members in good standing include Elizabeth Parcells, Jerry Vite, and Mage. Turtle and Crow of the Grand Duchy of Crow will have a hand in episode four, providing Dion with a couple of rolls on the table of potentially decent random stuff. Will the stuff be decent or will the stuff be cursed? We'll find out together in episode four. Either way, thank you, Turtle and Crow. And thanks to Lord Deputy Chris Fail, who will be making important, potentially game-changing decisions in the Valley of Green Gold, as well as providing either Brad or Emery's character with a role on the table of potentially decent random stuff in their character's origin story. So thank you very much for your support, Chris. Finally, we do have some sad news. It seems that our good pal Jedi pissed off a hag and she got him. Boy, she chopped him up and ate most of him, but the scraps she left behind have now been added to our bucket of friends. And Jedi, we, we promise, as soon as we get somewhere, if we can get you resurrected, we'll, we're going to look into that. If you'd like to support Rated RPG through Patreon, go to RatedRPGPodcast.com. We appreciate it. On behalf of everyone around Ye Old Gaming Table, thank you for enjoying the Rated RPG Podcast.